Welcome to But Why Though, the podcast, a roundtable conversation about all things pop culture with guests from around the But Why Though writing community. I'm your host, Alex, joined this week by Kate. Hi. And Suara. Hello. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about content, content fatigue, fatigue when it's too much of a good thing. Um, how do you move on from it or cope with it or whatever? But before we get into that, there was a couple of big pieces of news this week that I think we wanted to get into. And like, and like actual, actual news. Like, like, like news news. news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so first up, uh, while everybody around the world is weighing whether or not Microsoft can purchase Activision, uh, the UK has ruled, no, you cannot. <laughs> it is so weird to me that all of the commissions are like up in arms about Microsoft purchasing Activision when like they technically would hold one of the smaller shares of like broader gaming organizations Mm -hmm. like embracer group should not be allowed to buy more companies microsoft i don't think it's that big i i I really don't i could be wrong i feel like i remember hearing one of the bigger names though yeah they're a big name but if they buy this i think they're only like the third or fourth biggest company yeah and so it's like this doesn't even put them in the top three or maybe it just barely edges them onto the podium so saying we have to stop this because xyz antitrust i'm like that's fine but then you need to also be busting up these other groups that apparently have what is bigger than a monopoly to you yeah i mean and it's one like when you think about like actual monopolization practices like that does not happen specifically in the gaming landscape because of how many countries it comes from and that's always going to keep that part different however when you Mm -hmm. look at like the larger monopolies that should have been stopped telecom buyouts should have been stopped they weren't the disney buyouts should have been stopped they weren't and i think like in general i'm against companies like munching up whatever they can because i think it creates a more hostile environment for creatives and workers however (laughs) When you're actually looking at market share of the gaming industry, this doesn't put this this isn't put Microsoft nearly where people think it's going to. I genuinely think people are just up in arms because of a potential first party push. And I think that that is why certain other game companies are lobbying to have it stopped like Sony. Um, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that just personally also comes because the some of the largest games sold on Sony consoles in the US are held by Activision, specifically the Call of oh, Duty games. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, it's a Call of Duty game. So a lot of yeah. the stuff that is owned by Sony and produced first party, like you have investment like overall, but something that is actually like North American based, there there isn't too much of that mm-hmm. really without having like Sony be the direct overload of it. Like Sony Santa Monica gotcha. makes God of War, but Sony is ultimately a Japanese company. And then hmm. When you at least that's how I see it. But when you look at like the actual like large North American games that come on to like PlayStation as a piece, like they're on like, like online gaming communities, as much as people want to like crap on Call of Duty, like that is one of the largest online gaming communities. Mm-hmm. It has been for a long time. It's not going away. Yeah. And this, I mean, it also gives them Blizzard, correct? Right. It Activision gives them Blizzard, Blizzard as well. Yeah. So it gives them, I mean, for better or for worse, Overwatch, Overwatch 2, or I guess mm-hmm. just now Overwatch 2, it gives them technically World of Warcraft. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, it, and, uh, you know, we should probably get into their actual reasoning yes, other yes. than you too big. Yes. Which is, uh, they're saying that what it really is, is that this gives Microsoft an unfair leg up in the, uh, 
the newly founded cloud gaming industry. I don't understand. I don't understand why this is the complaint. Because Activision Blizzard hasn't been making some newfound cloud technology. The backbone of what cloud technology has been done has been proprietary from Microsoft's Azure software, which has then been ported into the Xbox programming to make xCloud and cloud gaming there. Like, it's already, like, the first pretty mm -hmm. knowledge that, like, Xbox has been investing in when everybody else was messing around with VR, they were doing cloud gaming. Yeah. That, it has nothing are, to do I with Activision. <laughs> Absolutely. I think they are ahead. And like you said, it's like, well, I don't know. They're Microsoft. They do a lot of cloud stuff. They just happen to port that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, this is Google's fault. Like Stadia, they made Stadia yeah. and it sucked. And now it, now it, it's Google's yeah. fault. Ultimately. Well, and so I, maybe that's the thing is that the other most prominent example of cloud gaming is like Microsoft doing pretty, pretty good. Not perfect, but like it's decent. And then Stadia. Yeah. And then and Luna so it's like, is oh, like you're, looking you're windows too in the far background. Ahead. Like, yeah. Wait, which one? Luna, Amazon Luna. Oh, I forgot that existed. <laughs> Everybody does. It's dumb. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's weird. I think Microsoft as a company is too large anyway. Oh, yeah. They have just been very smart about labeling things differently and buying in different industries and not consolidating mm -hmm. in the same way. But... I mean, Microsoft was my was baby's first monopolization lawsuit that oh, I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, in the 90s, I have distinct memories of, like, Microsoft's in trouble. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's always weird for me, too, like, when people are like... Microsoft buys it. It's going to be exclusive. I was like, well, no, actually, it's going to be on PC and Xbox, and those are two completely different platforms, so it's not actually an exclusive mm -hmm. game. Sony boys. And, I mean, so far, the biggest it's an exclusive that they're going to do is Elder Scrolls Six, right? They haven't actually done anything to screw anyone over yet. Yeah. What Redfall. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, they're also launching that between two gigantic games with 30 FPS and Af all sorts of other things. Oh, yeah, and after, like, telling the team that you're going to have to switch it to be first party and after they bought the studio, um, which, hmm, that's a whole other so They're big, they're not smart, let them do it. Yeah, <laughs> if, if, if Bing and the Microsoft smartwatch have taught, or the phone have taught you anything, or the Zune, is that Microsoft mm -hmm. makes good things. They, they're just really dumb. So, like, mm -hmm. it's fine. They'll fumble the bag eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, Sora, do you have any feelings on this? I mean, it's funny for me listening about this because I don't have an Xbox. I don't have a PC. I barely do anything with Microsoft outside of work using stuff like Microsoft Azure or anything like that. I'm not really into Microsoft gaming. But no, I think uh, the point brought up earlier about how this has only been brought up now when other companies are pushing for it. And it's not simply because of a absolute principle like that's how law works so many times when it comes to these monopolization these antitrust cases and it's about that political pressure that may come up that's sort of what we saw recently in another field when it comes to film and tv and like a group of co congressional people and senators actually making a letter to doj asking them to finally investigate the warner brothers discovery merger when like Disney and other companies have been mm -hmm. doing this for years, but it's only because Warner Brothers Discovery has, at least on the surface, looks like such a disaster with all the cut slashing of projects and um, canceling stuff for tax breaks and whatnot, mm -hmm. and basically not looking as polished as other companies like Disney might. But the important thing is, is that if 
this could somehow be successful. It could set that precedent for other companies to like have those antitrust laws put mm-hmm. on them, whether that's in the gaming industry, whether that's in film and TV. And we just need more of that. So I think, you know, it obviously didn't happen for like the purest reasons. I think these things rarely do, to be quite honest. Yeah. But if they can like set that precedent in a concrete way, then I think that's good. So yeah. Power to the UK for doing actually something good politically for once in a while. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people understand is that a lot of the times when these different types of mergers and acquisitions or even um, changes to product get blocked, it's not because of the US, because we suck by all standards of regulating companies. It is because another comp- it is because another country dealt with it and said no. This is dumb. And if you want to mm-hmm. do business in another country, you have to abide by the other country's things. That's yeah. why we saw a big privacy information overhaul and in info in the info in the tech sphere. It's because of GDPR compliance issues that were raised mm-hmm. in the EU. And if you're gonna do business in one, it is easier to create a protocol and company structure that abides by the most strict than to quarantine off sections of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, I've yeah, seen something similar about that with the EU and Twitter, with all the stuff Elon Musk has yeah. been doing that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, EU might get involved with that. Yeah, the choice is you can just pull out of the country and lose that market share, or you abide by what the company, the country is giving you. Yeah. And we'll see that in fall when the iPhone launches with a USB-C connector that Apple Hell says yeah. is brave and innovative. <laughs> I, I think it's important. Like, making everything it, have it a universal... Cons- like. There's no, like, the only reason Apple is such a different product is because they like to price gouge their consumers and their consumers mm-hmm. will pay for it. Well, and I think with the the charging port one actually is a kind of funny example because everything was on micro USB for so long. And, like, micro USB is just okay as a connector. So I feel like when Apple was like, what if we did this? People were like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you're trying to improve something. But USB-C is equal or better than what they're doing so it's like well why and then they said we're just gonna take thing? away the charging port and not oh sell. yeah if they really if they release a portless phone with an e-sim and like it's just, like why would anyone want that it sounds terrible uh but this is not about that that's not our second news item our second news item is uh disney getting getting uh litigious as they are want to do suara you want to take the lead on this one Disney has finally decided to respond to DeSantis and all of his threats and everything he's doing on the company and out with a lawsuit against DeSantis. And I have decidedly mixed feelings about this Mm -hmm. because DeSantis is absolutely terrible. Obviously, we have to remember that Disney is also, they're doing this because they're a corporation. Mm -hmm. They're doing it because they want to protect their own business interests and maintain their own like little government they have at Disney World, Mm -hmm. which in and of itself Mm -hmm. is messed up. So I'm personally the... um, the Godzilla versus okay. Kong gif of let them fight at the moment. Oh, I yeah. just want them to like sort of tear each other down. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think letting them fight, seeing what happens. I not obviously not a fan of DeSantis, not the biggest fan of Disney in all honesty. Um, but I do think that there's definitely some, you know, shenanigans here, so to speak. Um 
just with yeah there was like the whole back and forth of like the local government taking over taxes no taxes throwing pride nights to spite people like they're they're both kind of playing like children at this point and now there's lawyers involved and you know i'm not a lawyer i don't know how much weight either side really has here i i do feel like florida's in the wrong but i don't know that disney in so many other regards is in the right is the problem it's what was that movie that no matter who wins we lose is that alien versus predator (laughs) disney has such a history of throwing its weight around legally especially with copyright stuff that seeing them do it again i'm like i don't you know i any i anything to take away a little bit of their confidence i want but not on this case specifically like a government shouldn't be making moves to hurt a company you know specifically but and yeah, also we know. shouldn't be relying on a corporation to take down one of the most horrible fascistic people in or in leadership in the country and said it should be through our own political power we should our also own, just like, point out that they're not yeah. taking they're not taking him down because they think he's right. a fascist. That, exactly. That's not the reason. Yeah. Like, they're taking him down money. But I'm saying, like, exactly. to people online, they shouldn't think that's yes. the reason. Well, and, and a lot of it is how it's been spun by the media. It, it It's that they're they're fighting back against DeSantis's bigotry. They're doing a pride night. It's like, no, actually, Disney funded the Don't Say Gay bill. Disney yeah. has done nothing to counteract the funding that they gave to make that go into place other than to have a pride night that they have had consistently mm-hmm. at that resort for years um and use it as a smokescreen when they lay people off. Yeah. Like and that like that that's what all of this is. Like they're not fighting DeSantis for any moral ground. No, they're fighting I mean, DeSantis because they had their own oversight board for their own little fiefdom. That's yeah, what it's, happened. It's a very solid misdirect on their part where all of the news is around their back and forth over, you know, different rights and DeSantis and Pride Night and all this. But then it's like you read the terms of the lawsuit and it's like, oh no, this is because he's hurting your bottom line. Yeah. Well, that's and like, what the, the other lawsuit thing is, is over. Like the larger question is, should a company be able to circumvent state and local governments to run their own communities within them? Like, is that like remove DeSantis from it, remove Disney from it. Should a company be able to operate within their own laws without any government oversight? It does sound like we're two steps away from company stores coming back. Like, like, well, and like you have Amazon that's trying to build cities here in Texas. Tesla is also trying to build a city Um, in Luling, Texas. Bucky's. I mean, I love Bucky's, but they're a highly Christian, highly conservative company. They have really good barbecue, but they are going to have more people working. I think it's like as many people will be working at at that Bucky's as there are in the city of Luling. And so they're going to be greatly impacting Luling in terms of economics, in terms of driving legislation, and no no company should be able to drive what is happening in a Mm -hmm. community at the end of the day. And the largest thing here is that Disney sees what DeSantis did as retaliatory, right? Mm -hmm. So say a hyper- conservative Christian company comes into Austin and does something really messed up to their workers. And then Austin, because it's a liberal city is like, well, no, you can't do this because of Sydney ordinances. And they're like, well, actually in our ordinances, we can, and you're being retaliatory to us right now. We're Mm -hmm. not seeing how this can play out once precedent is set for companies to push back against governments. This isn't a one issue thing and it's what you have to view all large lawsuits Mm -hmm. as. Anything that gets decided here will be used as a door in the future. And when you take DeSantis out of it and you like this swings a door wide open 
for mm-hmm. companies to exist without any sort of regulatory power from the states. Exactly, because the, the solution needs to be very specifically, we're not saying the government can't do anything, we're saying the government can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. it needs to be so defined as to, like, what we are putting our foot down on. Yeah. And I yeah. think that, like, that's the issue. That is the frustrating issue, and it's the issue that you can't talk about online, because immediately they're, like... What has happened is it has become a politicized issue instead of a corporate issue. And because it is now a politicized issue, which was very smart from Disney's PR machine, it is now something that you cannot actually look at from the perspective of how does this impact everyday life and how does this impact other companies? Because you don't want a company to have that much power. If Disney fails, that community is hurt. But you all are forgetting that Disney also district that community to to marginalize black voters you're forgetting that 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 community Mm -hmm. exists under disney's purview to help them get tax cuts and breaks and for them to avoid uh paying money for things like when you unpack this it is a slime ball of a case because all of it is bad but at the end of the day desantis being the fascist that he is doesn't matter because that's not actually on trial here Mm -hmm. But yeah, like that's but his not game is on so trial tied here. to it. Yeah. And and on the other side too, DeSantis is using it as a part of his PR campaign because he's fighting a woke company. Taking and on the he's evil mouse. spinning it. Exactly. He's spinning it like this entire like it's what I hate about like fascists and Republicans. It's like I also don't like the mouse, but not why mm-hmm. you don't. Like you like why are yes. you why do you always do the dumb thing? Um, but no, like, and I shouldn't say dumb, like these people are evil. They're not dumb. They're very calculated and conniving, but I think both Disney and DeSantis at this point are using this issue as a way for them to navigate their own political minefields. That's what's being done. Because if you think back, all of the updates that we have gotten about the Florida stuff, even the pride, the, the pride night that they were hosting, all of those have come on the backs of layoffs or Jonathan Majors. Yep. So. PR's a nightmare. And so is Florida. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nightmare. Nightmare state. Nightmare company. Uh, uh, it's bad. It is. Not good vibes. No. Uh, and now moving on to the main event, we want to talk about concept <laughs> fatigue, uh, which <laughs> is just a whole... Yeah, it's a it's gonna be a great time, guys. Uh, it's it's you know just when you get sick of something, when you have too much of something. Um, I'm trying to think of a better way to put it than that, but I mean, it really is just a, a specific phenomena. I think within media, where a style or a topic or uh, just some detail or or method or means is so like hyper fixated on by everyone that you like just kind of end up with too much of it. Like the 2000s when you got, uh, two th- the 2010s when you got the slew of uh, young adult dystopian yes. adaptations. That's a very good, that's actually one of the top examples that I had was, yeah, YA dystopia like started out real fun and eventually it was like, these are all literally the same and I don't understand Except why we're Maze still Runner. doing them. Maze Runner can do no wrong. I, honestly, I'll give points to Maze Runner for just having like a, a maybe more novel concept than the rest of them. Like, as weird as it is. Yeah. 
But I feel like d- divergence exists, and therefore Shailene Woody has has ruined the entire pool. For yeah, all of that, that's the one where the last book was supposed to be two movies, and the first movie did so poorly that they didn't do the second movie, right? No, they so they did a second movie, oh. but it got released at like Redbox or something. Oh, no. Like it was like this horrible like direct to something, but not really tied to the movie that they had just produced. Hmm. It was weird. Yeah, but that's yeah, or that's a prime it's a figment example. of my imagination, but. Do you guys have other like favorite favorite or personal examples where you're like, not everyone got this, but this is what I got burned out on? What we got burned out on. Or well, like what where you hit concept fatigue? Like, or just examples that you think are are interesting of like bigger like for me, um, the Universal Monster movies back in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, like that hit concept fatigue and like it, you know, this like tipping point where it's like we've seen too much of this, it's getting ridiculous. Um were done and people just kind of stopped watching those movies and stopped going to see them. And part of that was like a quality dip, but I think it was also that there was like 50 movies. Torture porn. I'm Ooh. I'm done. I love this. I love saw. I love the concept of yeah. saw. I love seeing how far you can push someone to save their own life. I love that concept. And then we're on like 11 and then we have hostels and we have human centipede. Like the human centipede centipede of it all was like a clear indicator that like this has gone too far and we don't need it. Um, at like all like that, and, and I love like gore and violence. I think that it can be used to tell really good stories. However, <laughs> I was just very tired of wanting to play a game. Um, yeah. Well, and just, I mean, I, I think the other thing with that one is it's almost like that's such a, a darker genre and take that it's like, how many times can you watch a movie and see people tortured in different ways before you're like, actually, I'm done. Actually, I need to watch something happen. So that wasn't why. I just thought it got repetitive. I, I thought it got repetitive. Like, I, so I actually, like, I didn't want to go watch anything happy. I wanted to watch better brutality <laughs> or more creative. Like, I actually, yeah, I actually just thought that things weren't creative and none of it was actually driving story. So, like, I like really violent movies. I think I Saw the Devil is one of the best movies ever made. I love violent action movies like The Night Comes for Us and The Raid. But all of those things use brutal violence to tell a narrative and push a story towards a certain place. Where I got burnt out on torture porn and that uh, those elements was that none of it actually had a place in pushing the story and it became shocks for shock's sake. And it got really boring. It got, I could predict what was going to happen. Like, I shouldn't be able to predict the messed up thing that's going to happen. Maybe that's just my brain. But then I was like, oh, now I feel bad that I predicted this really horrible thing. What am I thinking of? And then I went to go watch something happy. So I'm just going to say the obvious answer here. For me, it really has been the MCU. And I've complained about it ad nauseum. I have a question. Sure. Just right off the bat, because you specified MCU, not superhero movies. Right. So, like, do you still have space in your heart for DC somehow, or absolutely? What's going on? Absolutely. I mean, I've always had space in my heart for DC, even with like a very varying quality. We've had certain highs, like the Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, Aquaman has a place in my heart, even though it's not may not technically be the best film. It's pretty fun. Excited. Yeah, it's fun, and I'm excited for what James Gunn is doing. I'm like very excited by his like. I still love superheroes. I don't personally get fatigued by concepts 
I will eat it all up if the story is good, if the mm. film or TV show is good quality. I think the thing with the MCU that I got fatigued on was still getting more of the same. And we were just discussing mm-hmm. this before the recording, more of the same, essentially, formula. But when they would try to stray from the formula, they often wouldn't do it well, or they wouldn't have mm-hmm. full confidence in their creative team or the story they were telling to say something bold and new. I think the most obvious example of this is the Falcon and Winter Soldier, where they said they were going to talk about racism. They said they were mm-hmm. going to talk about like anti-Blackness and stuff like that. And they covered the surface of it, but then they capitulated severely into respectability politics in the finale with that horrible, horrible Pepsi speech. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, like, yeah, I think that the MCU, it has done some great things. There are some movies and TV shows I do really enjoy, but I feel as though they just don't have confidence and it's become a corporate machine in so many ways. Yes. Like Kate and I talked about this before where it's like conveyor belt of content. And I'm like, okay, I don't care if you just shove superheroes in my face. I want them to have actually something to say. I want them mm-hmm. to have something that is a meaningful story. You know, something so like I could get I from do have a question yeah, though. Oh, sure. I do sure. have a question though, because like the, the DC movies you mentioned don't have a more meaningful story they're they're just genre fun like outside of maybe like getting rid of a bad ex in birds of prey like nothing else really has a deep but what story about this, but what about so the suicide like, squad with its commentary on american imperialism i thought that dude, was dude like, that was the laziest commentary that i've ever seen it was okay. the easy thing like it was the easy thing it, it but for, so and this is why like i want to ask because like is it sure. the concept fatigue with you isn't the concept of superheroes it's the concept mm. of trying to tell a large it try of saying you're going to give a big message but then not like is that the actual concept you have an issue with it's that and just like i don't know just like not having the best is it like the cookie cutter it's sort of the cookie cutter yeah the formula or like just, reducing it to a formula, formula. Yes, yeah, so using it to a formula, you know, not not like having the confidence to fully stray outside of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes changing whole concepts of these original heroes, like they did with Miss Marvel, and changing her hero her uh, powers and like the meaning of that was like we discussed in our review, and that's just like I'm just like you sort of lost the magic for me here, like yeah. what mm-hmm. these stories really mean to me. So yeah. it's so would like, that be yeah. why? So, and, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm like coming in harsh, but I am just no, curious because no, like, ahead, I ahead. do think that there, I, I do think there are stark differences from what DC's done or has done well mm-hmm. and then what Marvel's mm-hmm. doing. But I also like want to make sure that like when we're looking at the concept fatigue part, is it more so that like, would you say that there's almost because of what is promised from the superheroes that Marvel is giving it's almost like the expectations that you bring into those performances and into those stories, it makes the cookie cutter stand out even more. And I that's why so. it becomes good way of putting burned it. out by. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think for me, because I, I think I'm with you where I'm more burned out on Marvel than I am on DC. I have more yeah. fatigue mm-hmm. looking at that. And I think part of it is like DC not putting out as consistently great of movies by a long shot. I think DC is also trying their hand at a lot more than Marvel is um, in terms of covering Mm -hmm. genre characters. And it's just this also very weird role reversal that the MCU was built on B-listers and 
by comparison, the idea of a movie with Batgirl is like a breath of fresh air and like, what new content is this? And it's like, the Bat Family is one of the most well-established comic book things, period. Mm -hmm. The idea Mm -hmm. that that movie was like, oh my gosh, something new is a complete 180 from how we would have felt about that, you know, in the 90s or early 2000s. Um, Well, I mean, but I I would also argue that like Batgirl, like, like Batman, they don't necessarily care for the entire Batman. That's true. Unless they're like, like those real are still on... B characters. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. They're Un- unless characters. they're big on like the animated series or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, unless um, it's Teen Titans. Yeah. No. Which yeah. we, we I, did I, get a Titan. We did get Titans content, Kate, and we saw how that went. Can we not bring that show up? <laughs> you don't want to talk about Titans? I, think, I honestly, watched one episode and couldn't make it through it. I tried. I, I get it. It's rough. I think, yeah, for me, it's just DC is trying more stuff. So it's easier for me to watch it. Um, and they're also not pumping out five movies a year. So it's easier for me to want to commit. Yeah. Cause, and, and the reason that I did ask that though, is cause like, I feel like where I find myself with concept fatigue is I do think that sometimes heroes can have, like should have a larger message. I think that's how they're built. Totally. But I also think that like what we have seen is a complete flattening of them to where, like you said, Suara, like the message is just platitudes and they're platitudes that you that can be taken anyway. We talked about it in, a, in our We Made a Propaganda episode. You can go back and listen to that. But I think where like I'm burnt out on the superheroes that are for every age demographic, I'm burnt out on the superheroes who are like if you want to say that's just Marvel, that's fine. Cause I think DC has given us R rated stuff and it's been really good and it's allowed them to do really weird stuff. Um, and I think what works is like the stuff, like the boys, like I like seeing the darker stuff of superheroes. I like seeing direct confrontational commentary. Like they kicked the crap out of a Nazi in the boys, <laughs> like all of that stuff is that is something that is directly confronting the commentaries that you want. Like that's actually giving you genuine like commentaries on yes. Nazis and fascism and stuff. Whereas like we got Starro and like, you know, mm-hmm. Rick Flagg wasn't terrible in Suicide Squad. And like, and I don't mean to like push back on it, but like that, that's just kind of like how I see it. And the way to like find the, like the special parts to get out of the concept. Cause I think as much as like we get fatigued on a concept, I think that like there are also pathways out of that. And I think for me, DC has been that pathway out of it because we've gotten really weird stuff, really good action, really just like throwing everything at the wall, like with with Birds of Prey, with um, James Gunn's Suicide Squad. And I think with Amazon's The Boys and um, and Invincible, ultimately. Um, but yeah, sorry, Sora, if that came off kind of like pushy. <laughs> oh my God, not at all, not at all. No, we're having a conversation, really good conversation. I think like more broadly, when it comes to quote unquote concept fatigue, whether that's for superheroes or fantasy or YA dystopia, we have to remember that the reason this often comes about is that Hollywood executives chase after what they see as like the golden dog that is yep. going to be giving them a lots of money. Or like if one idea was good, all right, we got to make 20 of those. We got to like make as many and they as need possible. To be like that's what it. audiences want. They, they, sorry, they need to be what? They need to be like it. I think for me, like the MCU yeah, yeah. point is Guardians of the Galaxy. After that movie, everyone has the same sense of humor. Like uh, all of the yeah. jokes in the same. Yeah. And it's like, so it's not enough for you that we're making another superhero movie. It needs to look and feel like Guardians did. 
which I think is like that larger thing of I think what breeds that concept fatigue is something catches fire and then studios are like, we got to do the thing. We got to do that thing that happened. And I think for me right now, it's like with biopics on tech people, like just yep. stop. Also, like you're late. The Social Network came out a long time ago um, and yeah. did it honestly better than a lot of the stuff that is coming out right now. Like at South By, they played Blackberry. They played Tetris. We just had the playlist, which is about the folks from Sweden. Mm -hmm. There was We Crash. There was Super Pumped. Like these people are still alive. I don't really care. Yeah. I can Wikipedia lie. their stuff. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why is this the course of biopic? They, do, they the... do it simply because, like, again, they just want to chase after just yeah. the shadow of it. They don't want to mm -hmm. actually put in the work. They don't want to tell these stories because they feel compelled by it. They, you know, Aaron Sorkin did The Social Network as it was a great film because he had genuine passion for it. He had, like, yeah. the support for it. But these other biotech uh, tech by yeah, bio pick of tech bros are coming hey we can throw the dropout in there <laughs> yeah drop out that too. can be yeah. biotech too <laughs> sure yeah like they're just chasing after it because they don't actually want to put in the work they're just like oh look at yeah. this flashy object don't you audiences want yeah. to come see it and that's yeah. so detrimental to like storytellers who want to have uh, actually have a story to say something and it's yeah, that again, that conveyor belt of content according yeah. to the MCU or other like concepts. It's just it's so frustrating. And I can see like how you know writers and creatives may be burnt out or like yeah, because they they're getting get shoehorned into right? it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I mean for me, I saw the Blackberry trailer and I spent the entire time wondering if this was a satire, which tells you one, there's market saturation of that of the tech bro biopic, and two that like the way it's being executed, you can't even distinguish it from parody. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. They had Glenn and Howerton with like a buzzed top of his head in it. And I was like, that this can't be real. This is like, this is a sketch that someone did for funny or die is what this feels like. Yeah. And I think that like that is cause for a while, like after like South by, I was like, why do we need biopics? Like, can we stop? Like, this is all I'm getting. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Um, but then like I saw Cheval uh, Chevalier and I'm pretty sure I mm -hmm. mispronounced that, but like I watched that movie and that was something about reclaiming a part of history that mm. had been pushed to the point of being pushed out of history. And so something like that for me, where you're having them, you know, recapture somebody's biography uh, for mm -hmm. Joseph uh, Bologna, like that's actually the importance of a biopic. Chronicling yeah. something that happened on the outside and linking it to the present in a way that reestablishes its, its historical moment, mm -hmm. that is why you do a biopic. And so it's kind of like I'm not burnt out on biopics. I think it's more so of like the attempt to capture like we all have to find out what happened in tech. It's like, yeah, we know it was all pyramid schemes like across the board. Yeah. That That's what happened in tech, if you want to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I think to your points where like it is just like they're they're making they find one thing that works and chase it consistently it's happened with the mcu it's happened it happened with torture porn and it's gonna keep happening every time something is remotely mm -hmm. successful in film like that's what i'm starting to realize is that yeah. i'm just everybody wants to participate few people want to contribute something new like an, a fresh angle on it and unfortunately mm -hmm. that's where you're going to get the most interesting content is when someone wants to do something but not do it the way every like 
to go back to the superhero example, when DC announced their new slate and they were like, also we're doing a Swamp Thing movie and it's a horror movie. And I was like, okay, cool. If you actually stick to that and are making a horror movie, awesome. Like you can contribute to the superhero trend and try something different and maybe bring in a different audience or do something fresh with it. Um, I mean, even like when I saw that they were doing the the Tetris one, I remember thinking like, I love Tetris. I'm excited to see the story of it. One, I don't know that it needs to be a whole movie. And two, like what angle are you going to bring to this that's going to make it feel any different from everything else that's going on right now? And they still haven't watched it. So I don't know if they found that angle. And I, I do wonder if like a lot of this comes down to, and I, I don't want to, I think everybody blames everything on Netflix way too often. Mm-hmm. Netflix is not as powerful as you actually think it is, guys. And like a lot of the bad stuff happening isn't just because of them. Um, but I do wonder if a lot of this like push towards <sighs> I would say that a lot of this stuff that gets pushed to the point that people get tired of it is it feels like they're chasing algorithms and it feels mm-hmm. like it honestly feels like they're making stuff to hit on SEO. Like what sites do when they make yeah. 10 articles out of one thing. And I don't know if everybody out there listening understands like that, 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 like that comparison mm-hmm. that I'm using. But, but people it feels are gaming like a the company, algorithm. Exactly. Like people, like a company, a studio is like, okay, cool. This, this thing had Tom Holland in it as a lead and had X in it as a side character. Let's just make another movie with these two people consistently. And like, and I think that's Ryan also. It, it did. <laughs> but, like, that's also something that we see happening a lot. Like, a lot of the MCU pairings are getting pushed into other movies. Ghosted. Um, ghosted, yeah. So, Anna de Armas and oh, wait, no, I Chris guess that's Evans. not an MCU pairing. That's but not it MCU, is, but it was, it was... That was a Knives Out pairing. It was, a, it was a Knives Out pairing, but then it was also a Russo brother pairing in The Gray Man, and then now oh, they're yep. over here... And it seems like a lot of Hollywood and production companies not understanding why people are intrigued and thinking that it is just two people. Um, I think on the Knives Out train, though, I love whodunits. I love Columbo. Mm-hmm. I love Clue. We're getting, we're gonna get too many. We're inching. Oh, yes. We're inching I, I right there. Right. <laughs> I, the I don't know that we're even going to need to get other people involved. I think we might just hit that burnout with the Knives Out franchise only. We are. Um, no, we are. Which is, it's unfortunate because it, it's great. I like, I love it. I love Daniel Craig's performance in it. I think it's really fun. But I, I felt like-, like Ryan Johnson was a little tapped out in Glass Onion. Like, oh, I yeah. liked it, but I felt like he was touching a ceiling. So, like, I thought that it was really good and I want more, but then I also felt like he was touching the ceiling and I don't, like, they're going to try to make the, a three the third and movie I don't know is what that three is. be the make or break, I think. It's going to tell us whether or not he actually did hit up against his limit of, like, concocting a mystery. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think for me, something else I'm realizing is just, like, how much... So bear with me for a second but i've often seen like on twitter whenever like someone gets into the mcu or a major franchise sometimes fans of that particular creator will bemoan them being in this major franchise before i was like wait shouldn't you be happy for them like you know they're gonna do great stuff and now i'm at the point where like uh, i realize you know they're gonna be flat if you get tied to a disney property i feel bad for you Mm -hmm. like we have had to see so many people fight their way out from underneath the mouse's clutches. 
Um, but I also think like what we have with, and not just with superheroes, but with a lot of the way that we've siloed genres is you have so many people that have gotten pushed into neat little boxes. And Mm -hmm. I'd mean this from the writing standpoint, from the directorial standpoint, and from the acting standpoint, is that once culturally and marketing wise, somebody has decided that this is what you're going to be because you fit into the thing that they are just going to push to the end of the earth um you're kind of stuck and nobody kind of lets you wiggle out of it i mean i think a lot of the reasons that there was some negative reactions to nope or and us after get out was they had decided that jordan peele was the social horror guy which then spawned everybody to make a different type of social horror movie Mm -hmm. and when he was like well no i actually want to make a really fun slasher because i've always wanted to make a slasher movie and then he was like i want to make a ufo horror movie he didn't entertain the people who had put him into that box and so both of those movies while i would say are arguably critically acclaimed and really good mm-hmm. they did get ire from certain sections because he didn't do what they expected oh yeah um, well, and, and in a, some ways though he did like i mean i feel like us and nope both do deliver commentary i think that oh his, yeah his movies and maybe this is wrong i feel like they get increasingly intellectually challenging through that trilogy yes Yes, and that's also I think part of why people didn't yeah. like it is it was like you are the understandable social horror guy, and then yeah. he was like I'm gonna shoot well, this one straight over your head and we'll see how you like it. Yeah. Well, I, I also really think should watch Nope again. Like I didn't it's really like good. it as much when yeah. I watched it, yeah. but I think maybe more from this angle. I love Us. Us is yeah, it's great. And I I also think one of the things too is like everybody wanted him to be the social horror guy who only talked about race, but with Us. And no, he does different things. He talks about class. He talks about solidarity. He talks about Hollywood productions and the commodification of everything. Like he switches where the social horror lens is. And I don't Mm -hmm. think a lot of people wanted him to do that. They wanted him to just talk about that. But then you have people like social horror in and of itself that got pushed into some really bad ways like spell antebellum them Mm -hmm. like those movies they were trying they were like very overtly trying to capture what he did with get out but weren't effective and to different degrees fairly offensive in the Mm -hmm. stuff that they put on on screen with those pieces with with those specific ones that i mentioned and i think that what happens when you commodify a work of art is what leads to fatigue because then it starts to happen badly and then people get bored and then people get angry and then they don't touch it. And then we can't touch it for years. Kate, I do have a question for you in this. So I think you're right that we hit this like social horror fatigue. Do you think that we have hit an elevated horror fatigue? I have. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I do, I do enjoy horror. That's like more, more critical requires more thinking, but also love a good slasher. Don't have a problem well, no, with a good so, slasher. And I think this is the thing. Is one, I don't believe elevated horror is a thing. I think so yeah, well, that horror too. is a better is a better way to talk about it. But yeah. I think I think elevated horror is when you slap that label on something, it is something that is not genre it is not specific to a certain genre or cuts across different areas and inspires mm-hmm. different conversations. And because it does that, people don't want to call it horror. So they have a better way of talking about it when they say elevated horror but i do like i do think like cerebral horror i'm pretty tapped out on like mm-hmm. i do think that there is a plate like horror for me has always been a home because it is a space for me to like 
unpack my own trauma, unpack my own baggage, Mm -hmm. and do it in a setting where I see other characters also doing that. But, like, I do think, like, the same way I got bored with, like, torture porn, I'm also getting bored with, quote-unquote, like, um elevated horror which to be honest maybe that's why eggers made the northmen and aster made bo is afraid because i like they don't want to just be the elevated horror guys yeah. anymore right i mean like, i remember i think it was after hereditary ari aster was like i'm done making horror movies and i haven't seen bo is afraid yet but part of me is like maybe he's actually gonna make good on that and be like i'm not doing the types of horror movies you want from me anymore like i have done what i wanted to yeah. there which and i think yeah, is this like, is all of Oh, sorry, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, this is all about like why we should be empowering individual creators yeah. so much more than these large companies. And I yeah. I still like, you know, am I saw a little bit like, you know, the quote unquote auteur, you know, theory of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, but still like individual creators doing bold, amazing work. Gotta give a shout out to the amazing Nita Manzor, writer director of Polite Society, which is gonna be like my pitch at the end for people to watch, which I'll say more on. But someone, you know, I tweeted out like uh that she's an amazing creator, etc. And someone like asked me, Oh, do you think like the major franchises will like you know have her and will want to get her? And like, and I was like, I messaged this person, I was like, I just want her to do her own thing. I yeah personally you know if she wants to if she's able to retain independent control however much she's able in one of these large fans she wants to then i will fully support her but me personally i'm just like i just want more nita manzor i want her to do her own thing and i want Mm -hmm. her to break barriers for other swanasa and muslim creators well and i think that like to the point of like how some genres impact like i do think I, <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and at this point, I'm sure people listening are tired of us talking about the MCU, but I do think the MCU actually shaped, I, I think it shaped the current state of action. Um, now, oh, the West yeah. has always been behind in terms of action direction and choreography um, to areas in Asia. Um, I, like, while Indonesia and Thailand had flourishing action cinema, like, going um and kind of diversifying what types of asian action people were seeing the the like the u.s ended up just mass producing the action that you see in mcu movies and i think when i say that i mean it is it's action with a lot of jump cuts it's action Mm -hmm. that isn't paced it's action that is largely cgi in a lot of cases and what like i do want to see like what so like i do want to kind of like I think that there is a difference between trends and fatigues. I think a fatigue is what happens when you've run a trend into a ground. But I think when something trends correctly, you can get an uptick in really interesting projects. And I'm using that to say like John Wick, like very specifically, like what John Wick has kind of opened up in, in the landscape of action is an understanding that we can go the way of having a silent protagonist again, who mostly fights and violence in and of itself as a storyteller, it's a storytelling tool. And I think like there was a lot of pushback against that. Cause it coming out of like the nineties, the nineties, you have a lot of that. You have a lot of appreciation for action as mm-hmm. a, um, as a dominating genre and then obviously with the matrix in the 2000s and then in the 2010s is where we start to see the shot the sharp turn away from um a lot of action that was influenced by uh places like uh like hong kong cinema 
and even Japanese action films. And Mm -hmm. now what we're getting, you have Derek Kolstad's Nobody. Derek Kolstad was one of the progenitors of John Wick. He got to make Nobody, which we are going to get a sequel to. We have Sisu, which just came out. That's not American, but that is Western in that it is from Finland. Um, That is from Yelmari Helander and it is an amazing that's gonna be my plug at the end at the end it is violent it is brutal and the lead character does not say any words until the very end of the film excellent and so it is one of those things where like I am seeing a resurgence of a genre that I love so dearly like I think that it takes a unique skill from a director and a writer to be able to tell an interesting story and an emotional story just where people's bodies meet instead of having to rely on dialogue. And I think that there is, after the after John Wick, what I think tr- the trend that started there was seeing more action projects get greenlit that traditionally wouldn't because it, it didn't fit the model that we had. Yeah. And it, it's what I want more of. Um, and... In general are always- yeah. And I think that that's the thing. Like, I think, like, when you look at the trajectory of fatigue of a genre or um, a specific type of movie, you start off with something that breaks a mold and does something very well. And then it kind of influences a trend. And that's kind of the, the peak of it. And then you get into the long tailing off where everybody's just tired of it. And I think that that is repeated consistently through Hollywood history. I don't think it's that it's something that we're going to get away from. I mean, we haven't even talked about video game trends. Like that is something that like there are a lot of like battle royales run into the ground. Never want to see one again. (laughs) Please stop. And they're like, there's also a multiplayer mode. And I'm like, please don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Like, and, and I think that like, that is what happens. Something succeeds and breaks a mold. Then it turns into a trend where we get like some pretty good stuff. And then you hit the burnout phase of the thing. Um, And I think now that I am older and in a position where I'm critiquing media frequently, I'm starting to notice when things are tailing off. And I think that, and I think you all are like, you all are also in that same space. So... That's when that's when you hit genre fatigue or, or concept. Fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I also do want to say, like, if we want to stay away from the and honestly, so when I say we, I mean us, the people going to the movies, the people watching movies, the people watching TV shows, the people playing games. If you want to save yourself from getting fatigued faster, and this is what I had to do with action. Do the work to go find them from other countries. <laughs> Do the work to support indie cinema. Do get a Hayah subscription. If you're if you're a person who is looking for action, get a Hayah subscription. You can get it as a channel on your Amazon Prime. It is it is literally a martial arts movie channel. So it is just action movies from across the world, and it's really cool. And I think that like we can't avoid concept fatigue. It's going to get run into the ground. It happened with Clint Eastwood's 10 Westerns that are exactly the same thing. Like, that's all Spaghetti Westerns were. Like, now we revere Spaghetti Westerns, but really they just made them in Italy because they were cheaper and they could mass produce them. And, like... Exactly! And so, like, and now it's a revered thing, but it was it was ridiculed because of how much it just got tired slashers same thing 
And so, like, my way around that to everybody listening is if you really love action, go into the action tab on your Netflix and pick something that isn't in English because it's going to be different. It's going to have different fight techniques. It's going to have different ways to tell a story. And I think when you start to realize that the world isn't just American cinema or even American television or American games or AAA games is probably better, like play some indies, like that is when you can actually kind of like you're always going to find a place to get fatigued. But I think you can put it off a little further if you're making sure that you're taking in different types of films. Yeah, the point is we can't simply keep relying on these large companies to make innovative, creative things that are going to inspire us or inspire and create new and innovative stories. It has to be on us, the customer, to some degree to go out and find that innovative, independent art. Yeah. I mean, even if you're just going into the back catalog of the genre that you're interested in, like yeah. just any anything to mix it up. And I mean, I... You know, the whole like boycotts are not necessarily the most effective thing or anything, but to me, there is something to um, voting with your dollar in terms of like, if something only yeah. seems good enough to watch on streaming, don't go see it in theaters. Like wait until mm-hmm. it's on streaming. Like they, they'll see that you were interested, but not That's until most MCU that point. films. <laughs> that That's a very today. good point. <laughs> Well, and I think that like that also goes the other way too. If there is something that's getting a limited release in your area, go see it. Go see Suzume. Go 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 see Polite Society. Go see a film that is having a Fathom event because it's a Japanese animation that is really good and like isn't going to get Oscar's contention, even though it should, because we believe only three D round faced stories are a thing. Thank you, Pixar. Um, like you can like to your point alex vote with your dollar by not giving the box office but also if there is a genre that you love like go buy a ticket to it like go see the thing that you are questioning to go see like if you know you're gonna like the mc movie mcu movie or you know you're gonna go watch it or you know you're like the pixar movie or you know you're gonna go watch it like why not just give that dollar to something else because you're gonna watch that one anyway but like take some time to like diversify what you watch a little bit and i don't even mean like i think what has happened and we talked about it a little bit um i don't remember what episode it was it was the last one Suar and i were on together we talked about a lot of the times diversity as as a word is getting used as a shield by a lot of companies but i think that when i when i say diversity I mean that, like, storytelling isn't just one way. There is a diversity of action of, of action subgenres within action. There's a diversity of subgenres within horror. There's a diversity of director-type storytelling style, um, color palette, like, all of that. Like, when I say diversity, I mean holistically. There are so many different ways to find different films from what you're used to and television shows. And I think that we are in such a, everything is so accessible to us right now with all of the different streaming services. Even if you just get a free trial on something to go watch stuff, like go watch Warrior. Like take the time to go watch Warrior on HBO Max and then cancel your subscription. I don't care, but like just just do that little bit because I think it's going to just give you a better way to enjoy stuff that is coming out because we're not going to escape content fatigue. We're not. Like that, like, we're just not. (laughs) I think one other thing we need to talk about is like the monoculture and how like, you know, there are these large 
properties that come out, whether that's Game of Thrones, whether that's a Star Wars show or movie, MCU, etc. It's part of like why people rush to the theaters or like rush to like watch something immediately rather than something. You want to be in on the conversation because you want to be in on the conversation. You want to like just not feel left out. Um, But, you know, there are certain shows that I've personally like that most other people are watching that I'm just like not really anymore. And I'm fine. And I don't care about spoilers, like go ahead, spoil away. And like, I can still, you know, I know I don't have a fully informed opinion on a show or movie perhaps, but at least, you know, I'm with like-minded people whose Mm -hmm. tastes I trust. And like, I can still be a part of that conversation. So if you're just watching it for the sake of being part of the water cooler conversation, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a good enough reason. I think you should be brave enough to break up with a show or break up with a franchise. I've done it a few times and I feel so great for it because I find so much better stuff tailored to my own interests. So I think we need to get more into that mentality as well. Yeah, I agree there. And I also think you're just like, think of it as an act of self-care. Like if you're watching it just because everybody else is watching it and you're not sure you're going to enjoy it, go find something else. Like you don't have to like, when I realized that I didn't have to watch every single, and and it's not because I didn't like the Star Wars shows that were coming out. It was just because I was overwhelmed, very overwhelmed by everything there was. But when I realized that I could just step away and like nothing was going to happen, like that felt a lot better than having to consistently see people talking or consistently be in on it because I was embracing stuff that I wanted to see outside of that. And I will say like, if you are on here, like go to our site, we have an international film tag, go through it, go look at the stuff that we've been reviewing. And I don't just say that as a plug for our writers, but like, I really love the diversity of coverage that our team does from film and TV, because we don't just stick to the stuff that gets clicks. We don't just stick to the big things. We try to explore everything because to Suara's point, I think there's a conversation for everything in media. We don't, we don't all have to be experiencing the same thing. And I think when you allow yourself the grace to just not engage, you're going to have a better time with the stuff that you're reading, watching, or playing. And that's like, that's the beauty of it. Like, I, I think once we start thinking about media as something that we can opt into and opt out of, we'll save our own selves on the fatigue that we start having. Because um, yeah. I mean, I think like one of the unintended consequences of fatigue, and I think I think this is something that gets experienced by marginal- marginalized creators much more so, is that you become the flavor of the month for Hollywood, and then you get put into so many things, and then everybody is so ridiculously done with you that you don't get to just be your hero. You are now the villain of everybody's story. I'm so sorry, Lin-Manuel Miranda, but like that's what you became. And it's not necessarily just his fault. Like He was just the token Latino, and that is why he Mm -hmm. was in the room for everything. And in like, I think- He was taking jobs and paychecks. I can't fault him for that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that goes with that is he was opening the door for other Latinos to come in behind him. But when you reduce it to just seeing his name on everything, you're looking at it as, oh, this guy stepped up. Why didn't he give it to somebody else? And I think that like that is what happens when you jump on a person as a trend because there are person fatigues. And I think Lynn is a very good example yeah. of that. I sadly think that that is the direction that Pedro Pascal is going to go to. And like it is, I'm, I'm just being honest. Like you can only have so many hits until you get tired. Like sometimes yeah. people just need to go take a nap and not take a job. And 
but when that's all you do, like there are only so many options yeah. that you have. Although I think with but, him, some of that fatigue is going to be spite because people were told to stop sexualizing him. Yeah. There, there's going to yeah. be a little bit of annoyance of like, yes, why would I want to watch if wrong. I can't do this? You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm like, well, you all got like real perverse about it. Yes. <laughs> Y'all made it real weird. Right. That, that clip but of yeah. someone trying to get him to read thirst tweets was like, don't do that to people. It was bad, and that can probably be its own episode. But like, absolutely. But, but yeah, yeah, and I, I think that like that's like the other thing that comes down to it too is I think when we talk about concept of fatigue, I don't think directors are immune to it. I don't think no. talent and talent in any way is is immune to it. Um, and I think that like that is what happens when everything is a machine because mm-hmm. capitalism. <laughs> Yep. What's funny, I've been thinking this whole time about how the one place where I feel like that's almost the opposite is uh, in comic books, where the mistake is to follow a character that you like. The smart move is to follow the creative teams that you like. Because like, (laughs) you're not wrong. To my understanding right now, the Spider-Man run is like kind of a slog, like a lot of people are not super happy with it. But there are people who have written Spider-Man where it's like, if you like that writer, go read what they did on the character. Um, and like, it's cool when a character you like and a writer you like overlap, but like also just check things out, you know, um, follow the creative team, follow. I mean, if you find a colorist that you like and you want to follow them to see what they do, go for it. But yeah, following the character is almost always a mistake in comics. It really is about that creative team and like that writer writing, how you appreciate their art and like along with artists and such, it's like, um, you know, like I became a fan, just one example off the top of my head, an obvious example, but still, you know, G. Willow Wilson, who's co-creator mm-hmm. of Miss Marvel and brilliant, brilliant writer. I am in love with her Poison Ivy run that's doing so many of the things that I want mm-hmm. to see from superheroes, from anti-heroes, villains, et cetera, the concepts it's tackling and especially in environmentalism. And it's, it was so successful, it gone on going. So go Willow, more of that, please. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know how much of that was supposed to be in like the initial miniseries? Okay. So that'll probably be like trade volume one. And then, okay. Cause I, when, when things get turned from miniseries to ongoing, I feel like you can always tell when you're reading it. Um, I think one that comes to mind is there was an indie comic giant days that I enjoyed where it was supposed to be like an eight issue miniseries and then it got bumped to a 12-issue miniseries, and then it got bumped to ongoing. And issue 8 and issue 12 read as if they thought they were ending a little bit. And then after that, it just is like, oh, and then you kind of had to figure out how to tell an ongoing story because that was not your plan. Um, But yeah, anyway, comic books. They're fun. Go read them. And then you have manga readers who, like, Oda is going to die before he finishes One Piece. Oh, that, that, so I don't mean it that way because that has happened to a lot of manga creators because they are not treated very well. I just meant that as a joke, as in One Piece will exist well, well beyond anything. One one Piece is the the Game of Thrones of manga. Yes, it is. It is. With less tie ins. It's no there are question, two things. It's I tweeted this the other day. There are two constants in life. It's Grey's Anatomy and One Piece. What if, what if One Piece does a Walking Dead where there just is a last issue and they don't tell you that that's what it is? Because I still can't believe that he did that. Yeah. He, yeah. I think he. The last thing I had seen was he told people, "I know how it wants to end, and I've kind of walked backwards from where it ends to where the story is to figure out how much is left." And that's all he had said. 
And then it just like an issue came out and people bought it thinking it was just another issue and it was the final one. And yeah, Aww. it was astounding. Again, comics, go read them. Find your local comic shop, support indie art. So with all that said, I feel like that was a really good conversation. I learned a lot, had a lot of insight from you guys. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? Don't let your fatigue on something keep you from trying something new within that same something. And I know that that probably made no sense. But, like, I would have never found My Hero Academia if I had, like, I was burnt out on Shonen. I just did not want to read any more Shonen. Mm -hmm. I was tired of tournament arcs. I was tired of sports arcs. I, like, I, would, I was tired. And so I put off reading My Hero for a very long time. And then when I did, I found one of my favorite stories and some of my favorite characters. And I think that what you need to understand is that every genre every concept can offer you so much even if it's been being in, run into the ground by different creators and if you love that thing it is okay to hold on to it and find different people to give it to you mm -hmm. and i think that like i don't the worst thing that can happen is that if you let this capitalist machine ruin your love for things and i know that we get fairly like negative on this podcast and i know if you follow me i'm just a sourpuss about everything but the truth is is media is special because we make it that way and mm -hmm. even if a company is trying to grind out everything that they can be faithful in yourself to find what you like and give yourself the grace to detach from what you don't and just care about the stuff that gets you going. And that's yeah. okay. Well, Kate, I would just like to say you are the most delightful and wonderful sourpuss I have ever known. <laughs> <laughs> you just turned your microphone uh, on to pose. I did. I realized that. I was like, oh yeah, this isn't a video podcast. A video podcast. I echo everything Kate said, and I will also say support the writers, the artists, the creators who create this art, who create these stories that we love, support them in their careers and their creative endeavors, support real humans mm -hmm. making this art and not these corporations who are increasingly trying to use AI to create, to make art, which, you know, that's a whole yeah. other podcast, but like I'm yeah uh and also like don't expect corporations to be the arbiters of innovative bold storytelling and don't expect them to save you from fascist politicians to round yeah. up this conversation yes good thoughts all around and i would say also um i'm gonna encourage media literacy and self-examination like figure out why you <laughs> like the thing that you like because yes. chances are you don't like yes. superheroes just because they're big and they punch like there is something else going on in that story that is drawing you in. And if you can put your finger on what that is, you can find it other places. And that's yeah. another great way to avoid concept fatigue. That's a really good point. And if you do like it because they big and they punch, there's other movies like that. Fast and the Furious oh, comes to if mind. You, if, if, if you like superheroes because they're big and they punch, just go watch Shonen anime. If you haven't invested any time in anime, go do that and let it suck your soul dry for a couple years and then come back to the superhero genre. You'll get both. <laughs> Fast and uh, the Furious is also an anime. Like that, that's that, an anime that's true. It is, it, is an an it is live action anime. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys have any content that you want to plug? 
Sisu. Yeah. Everybody needs to go see Sisu. It is a Finnish action thriller. Um, it's an action. It's action. It's World War II story. It's a Western, beautifully shot, silent protagonist, really, really bloody Nazi kills. And we can all get behind that. Yeah. Like, it's it's really great. Um, I think that it's probably, if, if John Wick hadn't come out this year, it would be my favorite action film in I would say it's definitely up there for my favorite action films in like maybe the last five years, maybe not the whole mm-hmm. decade, but like the last five years. It's in that top three ranking. It's really good. It has a mature and older protagonist, which you don't get to see a lot of, and it's Finnish and like support stuff from outside the US. So yeah, that's gonna be in theaters. It should be in theaters as you're listening to this thing. Go buy your ticket. Sora. And yeah, I will say it again. Please if you can and you are able to uh go watch polite society in theaters i love this film so much nidamunzor is a genius i love this this is a film that centers sisterhood between two pakistani british muslim sisters and it's about i don't want to give too much away but it's about how they deal with the pressures of patriarchy and conformity mm-hmm. in their society. And the plot increasingly gets crazier as it goes along in such a delightful way. And the, the script is witty. It's hilarious. It's trademark Nita Mansour. If you've watched her other amazing series on Peacock, We Are Lady Parts. And I love this film so much. Please watch and support it in theaters. And it's great. I love it so much. Yeah, it's it's on my list of things that I need to go see. I feel like we've had a weird slew of really good movies for what is usually not a big movie season in the year. Uh, and yeah, Dude, they haven't stopped coming. Like, I don't know what's happening, but like games and movies have just been constant since like the yeah. start of March. OK, it's not just me. Yeah, I feel like it's just OK. Um, yeah, I think for me, I have not watched a lot of new stuff lately. Um, I did finish Abbott Elementary season two. If you're not watching that, it's been pretty good. It ended the season, I think, in a really good spot as far as like character development and plot um, for a show that largely, you know, is episodic with very few uh, overarching plots. Yeah, it it ended really strong. I'm happy with it and I'm looking forward to the next season. Um, and also for me, it's kind of nice to just have a show that is seasonal and not constant and not on like an unpredictable streaming platform schedule where it's like, okay, I know that I'll wait a while and then the next season will start instead of like, we're going to drop season one now. And in three weeks, we're going to drop part two of season two. And it's like, I don't need this. Like I, yeah, I like the, I like the predictability. It's kind of like, a like that in and of itself is a comfort thing, I think. Um, yeah, Abbott Elementary, go check it out. And that will do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we're doing here, definitely drop us a like, subscribe, retweet, review, like any positive interaction, we will take it. Uh, And then also be sure to check out our website, check out our Discord. Kate? I was going to say, I'll take your negative interaction. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I'll take your negative interaction, too. That's how Twitter's algorithm feeds. We will also fight you. I won't respond. Well, I won't respond because I've grown. However, I will send your tweets to all of my group chats and laugh at you. So feel free. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to feed the hate machine, by all means, do so in our name. Um, But the right hate machine, not like the Nazi hate machine. (laughs) Feed the Twitter hate machine. (laughs) Kate's laughing. Feed the algorithm. Feed the algorithm for us. <laughs> um, and you, if you want to do that, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at But Why Though PC. Uh, we post there 
I'm not even going to say pretty regularly. I'm just going to say a whole lot. Like regularly does not do enough to describe the content that you'll get from us, the reviews, the articles, the video. Like it's everything's there. If you want to keep current with the site, that's the best way to do it. You can find me on Twitter at most always Alex uh, in the back catalog of this podcast and uh, Friday.com for genre and horror stuff. And then Kate, where can we find you? You can find me at Oh My Mithrandir on Twitter, where I am just a shit poster and sometimes have some nice things to say about certain stuff. All right. And Suara? I'm on Twitter at Spider Swars, and I host another podcast called The Middle Geeks under the Nerds of Color Podcast Network. And I'm a freelance writer for multiple sites, including But Why Though, where I have a couple of reviews that have gone up. So check those out. All right. That does it for this week, and we will see you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.